Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mount Westwire football podcast. Yeah, that's football here. Jeremy Moss, Matt Kennerly. We're getting close, Matt. We are... From week zero, what are we, 60 days? Depending when you hear this. Within two months, basically, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. We have plenty of content on the website. A lot of um, every team possible. And if you like hoops, we got hoops extra as well. But we're talking today, defending Mountain was champion Fresno State Bulldogs. Because you, the fans, demanded it on our Twitter voting. The champs are here. That's right, the champs. And we'll see if they're going to repeat as champs. That's very true. Oh, I thought you might tip your hand a minute there, so I paused. No, I'm, I'm playing things close to the vest until the, the appropriate time. Not last week. You gave a little bit away last week. but Oh, that's true. Go back and listen if you don't remember. Or if you had no clue about or care about Nevada last week. We're doing uh So there could be hints along the way if you keep following along to what we're doing here. Particularly as we get past the halfway point of these previews. Because there's only so much win-loss adjustments we can do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Before we get going. So Fresno State, like you mentioned, they are the defending Mount Rush champions. Back-to-back conference championship team appearances. 22, 21 victories the past two years combined with Jeff Tedford? Uh, 22. Oh, 22. Okay, because they went 11-2 and two each of the past two years, right? They went 10-4 and four, uh, two years ago, and they went 12-2 and two last year. That's why I need you here, man. Get the results correctly. Correct. I knew it was 20-plus wins. That has to be, like, not to go off sidetrack, but the win percentage-wise first two years has to be one of the all-time best, I would say. Up there. They're the only team in FBS history to go from double-digit losses to back-to-back double-digit win seasons. Interesting. That's a, that's a feat. So, Tim Druder, have fun at, see at Cal still? See you doing something over there? <laughs> they have an amazing defense at Cal, which is the real irony. <laughs> that is the real irony. Hey, Fresno's had a good defense, but... Let's get to the actual Fresno State team. We don't need to reminisce about the past. I guess the big news, as we as I double checking before, they retained their defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. They lost to Indiana. So Matt, who's the new guy they, they um, basically promoted from within to take over? Well, it's a guy who's been in OC before, Ryan Grubb, who came into Fresno as the offensive line coach. So now he's overseeing the line and basically the entire offense. And they've brought in, you know, help. They brought in Danny Langsdorf to help coach the quarterbacks and things like that. So there was a little bit of restructuring. Um, you know, obviously, anytime you lose a significant coach like DeBoer, Carolyn DeBoer, excuse me, it's, you know, it does make you question how much they're going to be able to do the exact same thing as last year. But this isn't the first time that Grubb has actually followed DeBoer as an offensive coordinator. If I remember correctly, he also did it at Sioux Falls earlier in the decade. Well, I don't have the numbers. That worked out just fine. I'm not expecting that the offense is going to be too much different. And they do have Burt Watts coming back as the defensive coordinator. If I can reminisce for just a moment more, I think it sets up kind of the big question looking forward to 2019 is how you how do you follow what might have been the best Fresno State team ever? Yeah. Better than the San Jose State year? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm just curious. I'm, why do you and, say and, and maybe better than 1985, too, which was the only time they ever went undefeated. 
And the biggest reason I say that, to answer your question, is last year, at least by S&P 18, as the five. You know, I think before Bill Connolly made his adjustments, they were in the top 10. I think they were ninth. And after he tinkered with it a little bit, which had an impact on pretty much every group of five team, they were still 16th. They were still number one in that regard. And, oh, by the way, their two losses were only by seven points apiece. And they probably should have won the Minnesota game because if you go back and look at Connolly's stat profiles, they had a 60% post-game win expectancy. They were that close to winning it, if you if you don't recall. So... How do they, how do they? Yeah, I'm still here. You got me? Yeah, you were just repeating a little bit. Oh, sorry. So I guess, you know, how do they do it when they're replacing so many key pieces? Because the other big thing that kind of jumps out when you're thinking ahead to this year's team, they're 129th in returning production. You know, it's about 40% of last year's tackles, pass catches and everything on both sides of the football. So in some sense, they're starting over. But I think it might be more accurate to say that they're reloading. And honestly, after two straight years like they've had, bid against them at your own risk at this point. Okay, I, I get that. They, they like, like production, second, fewest production back and all the FBS. Going to, yes, I get a bet against your own risk, but can they get back to 10 wins? We'll get to it as we go through the schedule, but that's a pretty tall task when you lose your starting run, starting quarterback it was your pro- arguably your best receiver ever. Some really good defenders from now in the NFL. I get bet against them, but uh, I get bet four like double digit wins. I am of the opinion, and I'll we'll talk about this further as we get into you know talking about the. Right now, I'm of the opinion that regression isn't going to hit them as hard as you might suspect. Why is that? They. Well, there, and there's, there's a number of reasons for that. And I think a number of really subtle And maybe that's a, uh, a good segue, excuse me, to we're talking about the quarterbacks. Because Marcus McMurray is not under center anymore. And he basically cemented himself as one of the best quarterbacks in program history. Going back to that original question of how do you follow that up, there's a couple of things that I think that we need to keep in mind when thinking about the quarterback situation for this year. There are some things that might be really difficult to replicate. And those are the things that might affect how much regression there is or isn't in 2019. One of the big things that jumped out in looking back over the past couple of years is that McMarion's interception rate was 1.3%. That's extremely low. And one of the things he was best at was just being able to take care of the football, making plays and extending plays with his legs, You know, having a, a more than adequate arm to be able to take shots down the field, which... Thank God, because they never did it under Truder in the last <laughs> couple of years. Yo, that's one of those small things where if if that number all of a sudden the season's looking very different, if ten interceptions rather than five, or thirteen interceptions rather than seven, or something like that. So while I think he's definitely capable of stepping into the role and being just fine, that's one of those big first things that I look at is they've been so good at taking care of the football the last couple of years. Can they keep that up with a new offense and especially with a new quarterback? Yeah, it's a big, and they get like we'll get a schedule, but it starts off right away with USC, and so it's not there's like no breaking in period. They get Sac State, they got what week four after hosting USC. I mean, going to USC, hosting Minnesota, so there's not a chance. Like, okay, let's see what we got here. Not that they don't know, but it's game one. A lot of weird things can happen. So 
with the new quarterback you mentioned, they, I guess it's good they bring back the running games pretty solid. Who's returning? You got Ronnie Rivers there, Jordan Mims coming back, Josh Holtke. They got plenty of experience coming back on the ground. So yeah. that'll help. And the offensive line, that's we'll see. But I would say I don't know. I think quarterback's a huge deal because, like you said, Reina is he's. I guess the best thing I say is I'm rambling here. He's senior and he's been around been around for both Reuter and Tedford, right? He was mm-hmm. around, so he kind of knows the difference of what's what's going on, and he kind of knows what's expected of him to be follow up in what McMarion did, and he played a touch last year, but I would think it'll be fine, but it might take him a couple games, especially like I said, USC. You, I bet you'll be seeing a lot of handing the ball off week one and throwing short passes to the guys in the backfield to get things going and figuring out what he is. Um, he'll not that he won't pass the ball, but you get my point. You don't want to rush him out there and have to throw 40 times in your first start ever. No, I mean, I get that. And to that point, you know, that was something that they tried to do last year anyway, was mm-hmm. to just try and be balanced all the way around. Um, but that maybe leads to one of the other big questions is how well is the running game going to stack up? Because in the last couple of years, again, the running game hasn't been bad, but it hasn't been like elite either. It's been kind of in that just fine territory. Yeah. Outside of that second half of the uh, Las Vegas Bowl, it was just fine. And I, you know, I think it some of it maybe depends on how you choose to examine the numbers because there's really no doubt that Ronnie Rivers ended the year on a flourish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at those other games where he had more work down the stretch, because he, he missed the early part of the year with a Liz Frank injury, and then he came back and he took on a bigger role as the season progressed. But as for as good as he was down the stretch against San Jose State and in the bowl against Arizona State, he was under four yards of carry against San Diego State and Boise State. You know, those are two mm-hmm. really good defenses. So... I think there's still a little bit of an open question there. And when you take that question to kind of the running game as a whole, you know, over the last two years, they've been at 4.21 and 4.31 yards per carry, which is roughly the middle of the pack. But they actually fell off a little bit last year from 68th to 85th just by rushing S&P Plus. So I think there's definitely room for improvement there if they want to be able to run the football you know, to, in order to remain balanced in kind of a pro-style way. But he, okay, that's the case. But if you think, like, I think you're right in there, but the new quarterback, they get defenses might adjust at least early on. Of like, oh, if you're going to run a ball, we'll make you try to really beat us and run the ball by bringing mm-hmm. everybody up. And then also, it kind of all just all kind of comes together. If you go to the offensive line, they lose four starters, essentially, just about. Yes nope. and no. I mean, they do bring they do yeah. get Natani Muti back from injury. True. Yeah, he comes. So they've back. got two guys coming back. And Cyrus to to Telly to Telly. Yeah. I say yeah. So I would most still that's most of it, right? Yeah. I mean, that is uh, all conference guys. Come on, Christian Kronk, Micah Saint Andrew. That's a pretty big deal. I'm really interested to see what the offensive line looks like because. That might have been, over the last two years, the biggest single surprise, at least from my opinion, was how good the offensive line was with the same personnel that Jeff Tenford inherited from Tim DeRuiter. Well, you can say that for anything because the whole team was a different team with a new coach, right? But no, but I'm saying, like, honestly, I feel like the offensive line improvement was the biggest improvement. But even then, you know, when you go and look at the numbers, you know, there was room for improvement there, too. Yeah. Because... On offense last year, they were only 97th in opportunity rate, which you know, if you don't look at Bill Connolly's advanced profiles, again, you're doing you it. You're doing it wrong. 
But Wherever they may end up being, you'll find them somewhere. <laughs> but for those of you who don't know and need another reminder, opportunity rate is basically just once the offensive line has done its job, or how often is the offensive line doing its job and runners are getting at least five yards. Last year, it was only 43% of the time, and they were down near the triple digits in that regard. And they were only 70th in stuff rate after being really good at that the year before. Stuff rate, by the way, is just place stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. So with the new guys stepping into those roles, there is definitely room for them to grow. But I think the other big thing, especially when you think about Muti in particular and some of the guys who missed time in the spring, maybe more so than any other unit on the offense, health is going to be very critical. Oh, definitely. Muti missed a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. Tyrone Sampson, who was a former four-star recruit, missed some time in spring camp. Dante Bull missed a little bit of time in spring camp, and they already lost an offensive lineman, Dave, Mark David Bienemy, uh, for the season with an injury. So that is one of those other subtle things that we didn't really think about in the last couple of years because they were able to stay healthy. But if they do suffer one or two injuries, now all of a sudden the depth of that unit is getting tested in a way that it really hasn't in the last couple of years. And with so many new guys getting plugged into the rotation, you know, not even just the starters, but the guys who might be coming in, you know, throughout the game to give them breathers. Yeah, they have. You're right. If they like, lose one or two of those guys, that can throw a wrench into the offense. Oh, definitely. Well, but I like I'm seeing the guys who probably come in and play. Like, you see the um, heft there is in Dante Bull. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have guys who are well over 300 pounds. They'll probably play. I don't know. His list is right tackle, so right tackle, right guard. Because if Sarah's Tuttle is going to be a starting right tackle, which seems more likely, they have enough guys who are who've been around for a little bit. There are some sophomores and retro freshmen, but these they got guys who recruiting has done quite well for some of those guys they brought in the past couple of years, especially the retro freshmen who didn't play. They have a couple of good guys like uh, Tyron Sampson, Matt uh, Kil- Kijajard? Uh Kij- Kilgard. Kilgard. Okay, that stupid J. Wait, let me guess. He's from a Norris descent. Is that what that looks like? All consonants, no vowels in the name. I would imagine so. Yeah. But okay, kill. I, I think you kill a jar. But, but when you take it, when you second guess yourself and look at it for half a second, it's like maybe it's something else that's very hard, but it's not. So, but go guys like that who are rated pretty highly, guys who have good size. It's just going to take some experience, which goes back to like when they play their first two games, USC. Which USC might just win seven games. They might not be this overly amazing team, just because they've been hit or miss the past mm-hmm. past at least last year and this year may we'll see but you're still going up against guys who are good athletes you're going to usc for a reason they're probably higher recruited than anybody you're facing on your own team mm-hmm. and so and it's your first start playing the coliseum it's kind of a big deal so you're right they need guys to step in right away and i think they have the right size of guys and recruiting's improved in this area it looks like i think the easiest thing to say best thing to say health and lean on the guys who played last year hopefully they can uh People kind of and just stay healthy, right? Just to, it's simple. It's mad. It's just simple. Don't get hurt. Yeah, I mean, easier said than done. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, the other thing that you know, I believe it was Robert Quata, the Fresno Bee, noted back in the spring was that you know, one of the things that Fresno State did last year, and uh, you know, Moody's injury maybe played a little bit of a role in this, but they they switched the guys that they had on the interior when they were facing those tougher non-conference opponents. You know, for the first five games, uh, it was uh, St. Andrew who was at center and Marcus Boyer was at right guard. And then once they played Wyoming and really got into conference play, they switched the two. And then I guess there's already been talk about doing something like that for the USC's and the Minnesotas of the world where you know you're going to be dealing with a lot of size up front. 
and maybe that's something that they could do with Muti, in which case they might move someone like Correa Woodley out to tackle. So they've got some flexibility in that regard. But it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out in the long run because, you know, they've shown that they can do one thing and then switch it up without missing a beat. But it's a difficult thing to try and do that with a lot of new pieces and then to try and improve upon some, uh, I don't want to say there were weaknesses, but you know there were things that they could definitely improve upon, like I mentioned before. All right, so let's go to the wide receiver group because that's the other area where there's a big concern. Keishon Johnson, who basically, what did he catch? Did he catch a pass every game he played? Uh, I know he set the program record. I believe it was 52 games in a row. That's probably every game just about. 52 games, four years. So he's gone. They lose uh, Jameer Jordan, gone. Uh, Micah Quick, gone. The leading receiver, which Jared Rice could arguably be the best tight end in the conference, he's back. He also got, assuming they're going to, like you mentioned, new OC, they're probably going to keep the offense where they've been doing. So Ryan Rivers will get a handful of catches out of the backfield. Jordan Mims. I'm just wondering who's going to be their number one guy. Is it just Darian Grimm because he's coming back and he's a leading receiver from last year? Or do you think there could be somebody else way down there who hasn't really played? Because you go down to Chris Coleman, he had only four catches, and he's their number two uh, returning receiver. Off the top of my head, I don't know if there's one guy who, for instance, is going to get Keyshawn Johnson's 130 targets. I'm probably going to guess no, but there's going to be somebody to get close. But I think the story of the wide receivers, particularly this year, ties into one of the other larger narratives of the last couple of years in that what Tedford, one of the big things that Tedford has done is tried to keep recruits from the Central Valley at home. And I know this is like real inside Central Valley football right now. Do it. But when you you look down the roster, you know, you look at the guys who are potentially stepping up into more prominent roles that, you know, the sophomores, the redshirt freshmen, and even a guy like Darian Grimm, if I remember correctly, he's from Stockton. But, and, you know, Emery Edwards is a local product. Chris Coleman is a local product. True freshman Rodney Wright's a local product. So is Jalen Cropper. So is Josh Kelly. Any of those guys could probably step in and get like 30, 40 targets. And that is where the first fruit of this kind of renewed recruiting strategy could pay off is if one or two of those guys is able to step up and maybe they're not you know, last year's Keyshawn Johnson right away. But if they could step up and maybe have, you know, I don't know, a 67, 68% catch rate. I don't know that this is necessarily going to need to be an explosive offense because they've done such a good job, especially last year of spreading the ball around, not only to wide receivers, but to tight ends and to running backs and things like that. So even going back to someone like Ronnie Rivers or even Jordan Mims, who we may have overlooked, you know, both of those guys had catch rates over 80% last year. Good. I don't really see a reason why that's not going to be an element of the offense again. And you mentioned Rice; he had a catch rate of seventy-three percent last year. He's awesome. Future you know, NFL has tight the potential end. to be an all-around weapon. And and there are guys who have been getting talked up by both people inside and outside of the program. One guy I'm very interested to see what his his 2019 looks like is uh, Edwards, because he's the guy. If in in looking back over spring ball. He might have had uh, more praise from the coaching staff and, and people who were most enthusiastic about the program than anybody in that crew. But it wouldn't surprise me to see you know a true freshman jump in there and have like you know twenty five catches and a couple of touchdowns or something like that. To me, that seems like the kind of transition that Reyna would really benefit from. It's not necessarily having one guy, but like three guys. 
that no, he can rely upon. No, that makes sense. It's going to be it's not one guy to get those targets. Highly unlikely. Yeah, just because it's an absurd amount for any team, and so there, there's going to be obviously one guy. I'm assuming Rice might be the guy. Like 100 targets would make sense, possibly close to that. I don't know how much more you want to give the tight end, depending on what the offense is. But like some of the new guys, like maybe it could be like like some true freshmen. Like look at Jalen Cropper, highest rated recruit on the roster, true freshman. How many games will he play? And they have a, a lot of these guys who are like I said, Fresno's recruiting has gone quite well in the past couple of years. They have all these guys who could step, but we just don't know. Like, there's a couple of true freshmen, like what they have four this year, that are just as good recruiting wise as anybody else on the roster. And so maybe your rise could be a combination, but I still think there needs to be one guy besides Rice who's going to be the main cat pass catcher. Has to be. Well, there's also a possibility it could be another tight end. Why not? Because I mean, and this is kind of goes, you know, way back. If you go look back to last year, obviously Jared Rice got the lion's share of the work from that position. But you know, Kyle Rittering, who graduated, had three touchdowns. You know, David David Tenjipa had three catches. One of those was a touchdown. And Cam Sutton's the only guy coming back. But they also brought in two three-star JUCO guys at tight end as well, in Juan Rodriguez and uh, Raymond Powell's. So I think having some heft on the inside, you know. Those are guys who could go out and create mismatches in the slot, for instance. Those are guys who can enable them to line up in two tight end sets. You know, in you know, one running back, two receivers, two tight ends. How are you going to defend against that? They could do almost anything in that particular formation. Yeah, you could run it well, or you have the everybody goes. It's still four to five pass catchers, even though it looks like a tight set. So even if the wide receivers aren't quite as prolific as they were last year. Like between Johnson and Jameer Jordan, they had about 1,800 yards between them. And then, you know, you had guys like Quick and, and and Justin Allen who graduated, but they were a little farther down the, you know, the yardage leaders chart. But it wouldn't surprise me if some combination of tight ends and, and the guys that they have coming up can equal that number and be just as efficient as they were last year because that's really where the strength of this team lied was just – the ability to move the chains through the air on pretty much any situation you can imagine. That's true. So are you what so one to ten, what's your confidence level for the wideouts? I would put it as a, a solid eight because I do feel like somebody's going to step up. Is that a, a are you Fresno State alum eight or an actual football analysis eight? No, because <laughs> I <laughs> are, are you are you saying I'm biased? Is that what's going on? We are biasing it's everybody's team, right? Okay, let me put it this way. <laughs> let me put it this way. By passing S&P Plus, they were 16th last year. I don't necessarily know if they're going to get back to quite that same level. Probably right. But I would be very surprised if they drop out of the top 40. I feel like that's the floor. I think so too. Even with all these new pieces that they're breaking in. Yeah, that's thing. I don't think they're going to be as good as last year, which inevitably it's going to be a step back. But I still still think they're going to be reasonably good this year. Yeah, because and I've been anything taken in tandem with the fact that, like I said, they were 85th in rushing as a B plus last year. I think that that number is likely to go up at least a little bit. So, you know, whatever whatever losses they attain just by kind of natural regression in those subtle ways, you know, like I said, maybe Reina throws a couple a couple more turnovers over the course of a month. Yeah. I feel like the running game is in a position to be a little more efficient than it has been in the last couple of years. So. For every drop that you could that you could see, there's a potential gain, and I feel like maybe the end product is going to look a little bit different 
but they're going to end up in the same neighborhood. I feel like the projected S&P Plus on offense of 87 is way too low. Wait, in the top 50? 60? Top yeah, third? I, th- F- I think so. I top. think that's the floor for this offense. I think so, too. I'm wondering if it has to do a little bit with the opponents they play here and there. I don't know. That's Well, I guess New Mexico State counteracts USC in any way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, let's go to the defense where they were amazingly good last year. And their defensive line is going to be amazing. And, and, and I think the gang's all back. Just give me more tackles for loss. Give me some more sacks, guys. That's all I want. Come on. They bring back, what, their top five five guys who played last year. What, seven other top nine. A million people played, it seemed like, double-digit games. So that's the great unit. I guess the downside is, um, well, you lose Jeff Allison, George Helmuth, and James Bailey. That's a big loss. Yeah, they're losing all three of their starters at linebacker. But Mackay which... Walker, he's going to be really good. And he was really good last year. So you have at least one guy back there who led the team in TFLs, I believe, with, what, 14? Yeah, yeah. it's crazy It's crazy to think that linebacker is his natural position for as good as he was at defensive end last year. <laughs> no kidding. So just play 4-3, put him up on the edge. I don't know. <laughs> I like they did. And, and what's, what's really wild, thinking about how last year's production is going to translate to this year, is... You know, if and if you read Bill Connolly's present day preview, he pointed out how kind of wild it was they what what they were able to pull off. And I'm just gonna read this to you real quick. You know, they had one of the strangest profiles in the country. They did almost everything well. They were ninth in rushing marginal efficiency nationally, and they were fourteenth against the pass. And they allowed fewer big plays than anyone in open play situations, number one in the entire country. But at the same time, they were only 53rd in havoc rate, which hmm. is just the percentage of TFLs, passes defended, you know, forced fumbles, things like that. They were 105th in sack rate, and they were 112th on defense and stuff rate. So, again, there's some improvement to be had, even despite the fact that they're losing so many stars, which is crazy to think about. It is, and I and also it's also kind of crazy to think about. Last year, new defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Tedford's not really known for a defensive coach, but yet their defense was at the top of the Mountain West. Oh yeah, if not yeah. the best. Oh, they were the best. I'm just, yeah, I mean, they're up. They're they're very they very. They were the good. best. Okay, that's let's fine. just let's just say that. I'll say it, yeah. They have defensive player of the year, so that counts for a lot, right? And and this is another situation where it's the floor. I think is still pretty high. And I don't know if the guys who are still there along the defensive front, you know, guys, especially the guys on the inside, like Kevin Atkins, excuse me, and Katie Iacopo, if they necessarily need to be as disruptive just because of the defense that they have set up, mm-hmm. you know, because you've got, you know, what all four, excuse me, all five of those guys had at least two TFLs. So it's not like they had one guy besides Walker who was really getting into the backfield a lot. But, I mean, just imagine if one of those guys takes a step forward and has, like, five or six tackles for loss in a, in a two or three sacks. Imagine if two of those guys are able to be more disruptive. So, for as damaging as the losses of guys like Allison, Helmuth, and Bailey look, again, you know, one step back and maybe potentially one or two steps forward in an entirely different way. So, okay, so the defense overall, like, I guess we should, should we move to secondary, I guess, maybe? Well, I mean, we could talk about who's going to replace the linebackers. I guess. I guess. I guess. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun here. 
Because, I mean, Walker's all set in the middle. Yeah, he's fine. He, he's <laughs> We know he's really good. But even the guys that they have coming in who have the inside track for the starting role right now, Aaron Mosby, who you may remember him having a 95-yard interception return mm-hmm. against San Jose State last year. Yeah, played in every game except one, 13. Yeah, he saw time at safety, and he's starting. Or he's He's <laughs> got the inside track for a linebacker job right now. Maybe he's the next James Bailey. There you I, go. Feel like he, I feel like he could be. That'd be good. Yeah, it'd be that guy. Just kind of hang out there play sort of ah maybe i'll get to i can guard that tight end too you know it's not it's okay you can you think it's a mismatch but it's not and justin rice did see four games worth of playing time before you know sitting with the red shirt rule for the rest of the year but after so, that it's who yikes and oh by the way they've got linebackers behind them too kalifi Toa, uh sherwin king jr those are three-star guys you know maybe even a true freshman can sneak in and have a little bit of playing time like Devontae bridges so even though the stars are gone, again, you know the guys that are Next coming up guy, behind yeah. them might be just as good. It, it's again, it's like I say, the offense line, like it's kind of a theme for this team. A lot of starters gone. Like yes, they have the guys that seem to be be good, should perform well. We just don't know who that's going to be. Yeah, and the comp like so recruiting's getting better. It's like all the guys you mentioned, Kingfields, uh, Bridges, all those guys back there, Carroll. They may come into play and be fine. We just don't know who and. It'll it'll get there. Like I, the drop off, it's gonna be there a little bit just because you lose the type of players you did. But mm-hmm. look who they play like throughout the year. Like it's realistic. Look, come on, look what conference word. We know what we're talking about here. These guys are, are gonna be fine. But is one of these guys gonna be defensive player of the year? I don't know. They just it'll just take time. It could be like you might get frustrated Matt, a little bit here and there when they play Minnesota again. Like who's this? They can't tackle anybody because linebacker group is not fully fledged and gelled together after just a game and a half. So there's going to be some of that type of stuff, but the way Tedford's gone, the DC's gone the past few years, there's, there's no, the main point is there's no reason to doubt. It's like with other, like Boise state or other teams or say, um, San Diego state running the ball or their defense. We're not going to doubt it until they show us strong. We just don't know who it's going to be. And Oh, by the way, like you mentioned, the secondary might still be awesome as well. Yeah. They lose Mike Bell, Tank Kelly, but Oh yeah. Juju who's back there. They got Jared Bright, Wyland free. They have plenty of guys who, um, you know, make plays. Let's not forget that Pro Football Focus named Juju Hughes one of the best defenders in the country, period, last year. Why wouldn't they? He had, what, four interceptions, about, what, eight pass breakups? Mm hmm. Is he, um, with going off of PFF, could that make him potentially, will he be voted like defensive player of the year preseason wise? I think if he puts up numbers on the stat sheet, which. Again, over the last couple of years, I told you that's well within the realm of possibility. Yeah, he could be. I think it's hard for a defensive back to get that posi- to get that award. I feel like I feel like he has potentially a Philip Thomas season in him. Okay, that'll work. But also, if you look who played, they love. Well, there was a couple of starters who were really good. They bring back what those guys you mentioned. Four total guys who played every single game last year. Mm-hmm. And then again, again, recruiting guys like look at. Deontay Perry, he's just should be just as good as everybody else. Or Devin Jarvis, true freshman. They have the guys. It's going to be who's going to be that fit. Their their base is set. What we're saying for defensive back, they have their four starters back there. It seems like they should be fine. It's going to be who's going to be the nickel guy. Who's going to be the sixth, seventh, eighth guy for rotation purposes later on. And so even though, like you mentioned, Bell and Kelly are gone, they have the guys who played last year played quite well in the time they had on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think that the guys who they have potentially breaking in the starting lineup, Chris Gaston and Waylon Free, those guys could be just as good. 
yeah. even if they aren't picking off as many passes, it wouldn't surprise me if they were still breaking up as many passes as they did with Bell and Kelly. I'm especially enthusiastic about Free mm-hmm. at safety, you know, because I think between him and Hughes, you know, you're not going to be able to take a lot of deep shots against this defense. Yeah. So, if you say they're better than last year, how confident are you, are you that they'll be better than last year? Or as I mean, good? I, or as I, good. I was going to say, I don't know if I'm going to say that they're going to be better than last year. But, you know, going back to the projected S&P ranks, you know, the defense is still ranked 28th overall. Even despite the fact that they're replacing the entire linebacking core and two guys who are in the NFL ranks in the secondary now. I'll say that's pretty good. That sounds about right. <laughs> and the, and they might still beat that. I don't know. All right. So what do you have any concern? Is it just he's going to be the depth on there? Yeah. I mean, I think like we talked about with the offensive line, if one or two guys gets hurt, it might put a little more pressure on new guys to step up. That wasn't really something that they had to face last year because, you know, Helmuth, Allison and Bailey all started, you know, they started every game. Um, and the same thing in the backfield. I think Bo- Matthew Boateng, who graduated, started one game in place of uh, uh, Kelly. But that was about it. You know, So they had a lot of continuity, which, again, is one of those things that you can't necessarily predict. But if it strikes again this year, especially in the secondary, I think then you might face a little more difficulty. But assuming health, the ceiling is still really high for this unit. I would say the one area where my biggest concern is what Tank Kelly did with all the what he, with these eighteen pass breakups. That's good. They have guys like Jaron Bryant Hughes will be fine, but there's just a couple of eye poppy numbers. It's like okay, is there going to be somebody to do that? Mm. Maybe not. Pass breakups are kind of hard to predict to see what goes down. But if their defense is top thirty down, there's a handful of question marks. Imagine what's 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 get going or what gets going like after week six, week seven. Yeah. All right, so I guess we'll go to special teams. As I say, I guess we'll talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now they're pretty well said. They got their punter. They got the kickoff guy. Um, Ace of floor, place kicker. He, he really kicked 62 PATs. They scored a lot last year. They they must have because that's a lot. I mean, <laughs> I mean they, he missed five of them. It's too many. Come on, almost 10%. Um, and he was only three of nine from over 40 yards. So there's definitely room for improvement there. But I, if I remember correctly, he was also stressed here. So I'm assuming that if he can get the kind of the, the, the freshman kicker experience behind him, you know, that's another one of those things where it was a little bit shaky here and there last year. But in the snow, in the championship game, he was nails. Exactly. And so I feel like, you know, a little more of that is another one of those team is one of the, uh, excuse me, another one of those things that the team can really benefit from. And Blake Cusick just all of a sudden has developed into one of the best punters in the conference. You know, I was, you know, he had a rough time of it as a freshman, but he's basically had kind of linear improvement year after year. And going into his senior year, you know, now he's looking to top a 40-yard net average. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by S&P Plus, you know, by punt efficiency, he was fifth last year. Okay. that's So he's he's a weapon. And even if the offense scuffles a little bit, I think that he could play a really valuable role. All right. So we look at special teams. Um, I guess the look at Ronnie Rivers, probably punt returner. Kick returner, I guess TBD. TBD. I mean, like I said, they've got options. Yeah. It could be any number of those those uh, back the young DBs. guys coming in. Yeah, get them a couple of times. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick timeout because you know what time it is after we talk about the team. 
schedule time. All right, Matt. They start. Um, did they play UCLA last year? They did. So was last year the first year of what the million Southern California games for us to schedule a couple years ago to make budget budget costs? Yes. <laughs> So, I like to th- I like to think of it in terms of the revival of the anyone anytime anywhere philosophy that was uh, popularized under Pat Hill. So not the UCF model who does not do this. No, <laughs> no, because we ain't scared. No, you play whoever it doesn't matter. But here's the thing: it's a good time to play these Southern California teams. UCLA had Chip Kelly last year. Fine, we'll see what he does this year. Whenever they play Fresno again, but they get USC week one at the is it officially the United Coliseum? Oh, I don't know. I just called the Coliseum. Yeah, who's gonna call? It? That's like mile high. Nobody calls anything else. It's the it's the Coliseum. So they take on USC, who they have JT Daniel, year two quarterback. USC's probably I'm gonna say, in Pac-12 South, probably second best case scenario, probably third, because you know it's gonna be Utah number one. I'm just saying, because they're gonna be the Pac-12 South champions. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. But USC, it's here's the thing about them: they went five and seven last year. They had some struggles. I'm assuming they're going to at least make a bowl game, but they have questions as well overall because Clay Helton is people don't really like them all that much just because it's, you know, it's Clay Helton, right? They feel like a giant mystery. That's my point. It's like they have, they, they're going to have talent for recruiting wise. They're always going to have good. They always have talent. And so it's like, okay, but they could win five games last year. They won five games. They were still. 34th overall by S&P Plus. Yeah, that's pretty good. For, which yeah. is really wild. And, you know, I think a lot of that fell onto, you know, offensive growing pains. You know, not only with Daniels under center, but, you know, their two or three leading receivers last, two of their three leading receivers last year were a, a, a freshman and a sophomore. You know, Tyler Vaughn had 674 yards and six touchdowns. Amon Ross St. Brown had 750 yards. And Michael Pittman, who is the son of a former bulldog great. You know, he led the team in both categories, six touchdowns, 758 yards. All three of those guys are really good. They just didn't really get a chance to show it last year. And now they have a new offensive coordinator in Graham Harrell, where if things come together, the ceiling could be really high for the Trojans. But after last year, you kind of throw your hands up and you wonder if, how soon that's actually going to happen Shrug-em- or if it's going to come together. Yeah. You mean shrug emoji or whatever? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So right now USC is a seven, what, seven, eight point favorite in this game? Yeah, I haven't looked recently. Well, I guess projected margin of victory right now. At last about... I checked, it was 11 points. That's way too uh, high. By Vegas. Yeah, that's way too high. And by S&P Plus, they're 67% to win this game. USC is, that is. Yes. So yeah, make sure that's correct. I think Fresno State can win this game. I don't know if they will, though. It seems like it's going to be a lot closer than the last time these two played. What was the last time? Was it a uh, Reggie Bush type game? Is that when they last played? No, it was this Oh, no, Va- oh sorry. In, uh... You were in per- live in person, Vegas Bowl, right? No, it was the, the year after that, in 2014, the season opener. Uh, okay, I'm trying to remember the... what, what loss was the worst for them. <laughs> The, the post McMarion Bulldogs are going to be a, just a little bit better than the post Derek Carr Bulldogs, yeah, I think. You would think so. So, not that we don't need to dive extremely deep and everything, but what do you think it would take for them to get this victory? I think it would take them exploiting the young defense that USC is going to be throwing out there. Because, again, 
they've got a ton of talent, but they've got a lot of young guys stepping into really important positions. You know, they've got a pair of sophomores, Marian Tui Pulotu and Jay Tufeli, who, you know, they saw a lot of playing time last year and they bring a lot of beef up front. And, you know, maybe that's the X factor in that game is how well this reorganized offensive line can hold up against those big, talented dudes. And they've got guys on the back end, too. Take, for instance, Talanoa Hufanga. Strong safety, saw a lot of playing time last year. But he's a sophomore. Greg Johnson's a sophomore. Elijah Griffin's a sophomore. Isaiah Polamau is a sophomore. So I think the, the, the road toward an upset bid in this game is going to depend on Fresno State's offense having a fast start. Yeah. You know, being able to pick apart this defense, which, like I said, talented – but inexperienced. Well, not well, necessarily inexperienced, but young. It's like these potentially de- mistake prone. His defenses are nearly similar. What they return: defensive yeah. line strong, top couple linebackers are gone, secondary is youthful, and lose a couple guys. So maybe this is a good game for Ray has Ray has to come out there and get Jared Rice involved early. Whoever the new receiver is going to be to take over Keyshawn Johnson as the number one guy, where they actually come out and make plays. And if the linebackers experience, get the running like they pass the ball in the backfield as well, and that could be something where they take advantage of. Because, like, yeah, they lose. I was looking real quick. D-line brings everybody back, so running might be difficult. There's a couple good linebackers. But they do have, like, I got, like, you mentioned John Houston Jr., pretty good. Mm-hmm. Really good player. So, I would, and all the secondary. I, I want Fresno to win, but I'm not going to predict it. I get USC with the victory week one. Yeah, and, I mean, I already wrote my, my first look at this game. And I have this one as a loss as well. But I would be more than happy to throw money at a double-digit underdog line. So, Matt, we need to discuss this later. I'm actually going to be in Las Vegas week one, day one. Uh-huh. Uh, what's that, August 30th or August 31st? All right. I need you and help from other people to make like a – should I do a full Mountain West parlay that day? Yeah, why not? And put like 10 bucks on – how many games oh, – How? I was, I, I'm going to sidetrack as we're talking about – how many games can I bet on? Let's see if I do that real quick. You can't do any FCS games. There's a couple Friday games. I'm going to be there. Well, well you, know, you know things are going to change by the time we get to August. No, I'm just looking at the games, though. Like, what games I can actually bet on. Because you can't bet on an FCS game. You never know. Uh, I'm you, gonna be... you go to the right place. Uh-huh. Those places may not be the best place to go to to bet on FCS games. I'm just saying, I will be there on Friday. So I could actually do all the Friday games. That's three games. Let's just say no FCS games. That gives me four five six games i can do a 16 parlay what are the odds on a 16 parlay matt do you have any idea uh depends on the games you bet on but they are very long odds 30 to 1 you think oh i'm pretty sure you could get at least that yeah if i put 20 bucks i could pay for my trip time to do some research folks all right next (laughs) minnesota because i like these games i can figure i can probably figure out what to do minnesota at home please 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 don't be like last year and also how is minnesota freaking favorite in this game I mean, you go back to last year, Fresno State should have won that game. That's my point, yeah. It was embarrassing to lost. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> the way, the way it went That's down, harsh. I would say, right? Come on. That last, last little bit of the game? Come on. And it's interesting, too, because Minnesota is largely the same team that they were last year, especially on offense. You know, they've got both of their quarterbacks coming back, Zach Anikstad and Tanner Morgan. Um, I don't necessarily know which one's going to be the front runner for the starting job because when you look back at what they actually did over the course of 2018, 18 touchdowns, 13 interceptions between them, and a sub 50, uh, excuse me, a sub 60 percent completion rate. That's not great. No, 
And oh, by the way, they took 27 sacks between them. That's not good either. You know, Tyler Johnson's still pretty good at wide receiver. Yeah, they've got a really good running back tandem still in Rodney Smith and Muhammad Ibrahim. Um, but they're also losing some key pieces on defense. You know, uh, Carter Coughlin is back, but Kate Blake Cashman is gone. Jacob Hoff is gone. So, I don't know. Because Minnesota, I, I, <laughs> it seems derivative to say they were lucky last year, but they were literally inches from having that game going to overtime. You're right, and so we don't want overtime. They want to win outright. We don't want the overtime. Go- the Gophers are also 53% to win this game. Why? So it is basically a toss-up. I don't understand why. I get it. The guy's coming back and everything, but I don't know. Maybe because it might, it might think you're too much of old Minnesota. Is that why? Perhaps. But but they're, I gotta, they're going to win this game. They're, they're, they're at home. It's a home opener. Decent team. They'll probably – they should be a pretty good crowd. Minnesota shouldn't scare anybody. They'll finish like fourth in the Big Ten, whatever division they're in, right? I'm not going to be surprised if it's a slugfest like last year, but I do expect Fresno State to be able to finish the job at home this time around. Same here. I think they'll win as well, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, next we have a obligatory, I guess, FCS game where they'll win. Is it because mm-hmm. it's a local Sac State they're playing? Is that what's good about it? I don't know. Sac State sucks. They also have a new head coach, Troy Taylor. Who I'm they might they might be interesting in a year or two, but I don't think they're gonna, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with Fresno State. That's a W. Then they go to New Mexico State. How did New Mexico State host two Mountain West teams? Home and homes, baby. They're hosting San Diego State and Fresno. One note: Who knows what TV this will be on? So we'll see. Because last year it was on like what eleven sports or something <laughs> for one of the I home honestly games. Don't even remember. I just remember let's one see, of the. Let's see. Let's see UCF go someplace like New Mexico State. Go west anywhere, man. Go west of Texas, I guess, for a non-conference. Exactly. Let's play Pitt. Okay, let's play UNC. Fine. And whatever. We, we need to bash them some more because they don't pull USF and go two for one versus, you know, Alabama. Yeah, exactly. And also, if they're going to realize it really quick, if you're listening to this now, that UConn leaving is done, essentially official, um, they can't stay at a round robin because are they really going to play 10, non, 10 conference games? That's, that's the only, an excellent question. That's the only way to do a title game with 11 teams. Because when you have fewer than 12, you have to play a round robin. I don't think they will. So we'll see. And Air Force isn't going, neither is Boise State or San Diego State or whoever. So back to the New Mexico game. That's a victory, right? It is. <laughs> There's no reason. They're not what they were two years ago when they went to the Arizona Bowl or the Aggie Bowl, we should call it. And last year was a mess. And they are projected to be losers by three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. They're back to the Mexico State we loved back in the old Sunbelt Whack days, right? <laughs> Forgettable. Exactly. On to Air Force, on the road. Okay, this is going to be a really good test because I like Air Force. I think they'll be pretty good. And again, these conference games, we're not going to go dig too deep into them. But my big picture on Fresno State is that they'll be pretty good, but they're going to have some lapses here and there. And it's going to come on the road. And I don't think they'll be able to beat Air Force. I think it's a loss because of. Again, if you have an experience at this point, you're halfway through the year, just about your defensive front should be settled. But I know Cole Fagan's status is up in the air, but like at this moment, out for Air Force. They have fine running backs to take his place. I like Donald Hammond a lot. I think Fresno's defense can slow it down, but I just think being on the road, I don't, I think this is one of those games because Fresno's lost a bunch of talent. And even though it's going to be just nearly just as good, 
I don't. I think this is just one of the games where they're gonna fall, not fall apart, but just lose. I should say, fall short is the better way to put it. And this is one of those games where if you look at SP Plus, they're sixty five percent to win this game. Don't trust it. But it seems like it's, it should be closer to fifty fifty. It should be because academies and, aren't treated the same in this formula as other schools are. They're hard to. And and if you already listened to our Falcons podcast, you already know that I have this as uh, an Air Force win. Me too. But that's not to say that I would be surprised if Fresno goes out and wins on the road again. I just I feel like this is one of those games games that could easily go one way or the other. So I call it an Air Force win, but I don't necessarily feel one hundred percent good about it. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, it could go either way. It's because Air Force is going to be really good. This will be one of the. This could be. This might be the best game. Well, they get Utah State, so this is going to be one of their better games all year in conference wise, and one of the more important games. That's one of the other things we probably should have brought up earlier, is that even with all the transition going on, especially in conference play, you have to imagine it helps that you don't necessarily have to face a Boise State. Yeah, they don't face Boise State, which is. Good. They get Utah State at home. They do have to go to San Diego State, but they kind of take it a minor step back. They get Nevada at home. They go to Hawaii, and they get CSU on the other side as well. So, But it'll mm-hmm. be close. And they get UNLV, which has been – is there – I probably ask you this every year or every time they play. Is there a trophy involved for Fresno UNLV? If not, should we make one? There is not. Can we... and, and maybe? Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if I'm really feeling that. You know, UNLV's gotten a better Fresno recently, a couple times. Not, not last year, two, Jesus. Two years ago, the rainy game, right? <laughs> or three years ago, that's it, right? Uh, well, they did win two in a row in 2016 and 2017. That, that's right, yeah. Last The one loss that was weird in 2017. And then they got smoked last year, which I fully expect to happen again. You think a beatdown's going to come even if Armani Rodney Rod- Throwing Shiva got out there. Why not? No, they're they're going to win those back to back home games against the Rebels and against Colorado State pretty handily. I think. I think they will as well. And I have both of those victories. And they go to Hawaii. This is going to be interesting because everybody loves Nick Rolovich, right? They everybody love loves Nick Rolovich, and also Hawaii had its moments in last year's matchup before the offense was able to pull away and the defense was able to adjust against the run and shoot. Mm-hmm. It was during that stretch where. You know the 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 Warriors' offense was more erratic than it had been earlier in the year, mm-hmm. and Fresno's defense was good enough to exploit that. So it makes me think that, you know, going back to my earlier thing about turnovers, um, you know, that was another one of those, or maybe I didn't mention it, and I meant to. You know, turnovers were one of those things that the Bulldogs really benefited from last year, but it's also one of those things that's really hard to carry over from year to year. Yeah. So one thing I'm interested in is how well they defend against the return potential breakups into turnovers. I think that'll ultimately make the difference in this game. I think as well, and I think also because what we saw last year with Hawaii midway point, they kind of were not the same team at all. But I am going with what I like for Hawaii. I think Hawaii is going to win this one. No, I think Fresno State's going to go on on the road and win this one. You think they will? Ooh, I said, we got to figure something out for this one. I just they're, think, all, they're also sixty nine percent to win it, so it, it should be a, it should be a pretty nice win. Yeah, it should be a good game. I just think it's a road game. It's a decent opponent, and again, like I kind of mentioned a couple of times, you have at this point in the year we didn't know what's going on here or there. I just think it's a opponent. And think of it this way: when we talk about Hawaii, which we haven't yet. Going from like the first to second year in that type of offense, it's going to pay dividends once they kind of figure out exactly what it is. Not just not not that they're winging it, but more comfortable where it's more reactionary, reactionary, and not thinking of what to do. 
especially from assuming I, which I do, Cole McDonald's a starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I, that's part of the reason I think Hawaii will get that victory. All right then. Then Utah State. We already, if you listen to our Utah State podcast, you know the answer here. I got Fresno State winning this game at home. And, and prob- I, have U- I have Utah State winning that one. Whew. See, what's, what's the point? You get the – is it because it's a better team? Because I went reason for Hawaii road game. Are you choosing the victory for Aggies because it's, it's at home? For I'm just I'm just going to refer back about the Air Force game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> again, this is one of those situations where I feel like reg- – yeah, and like I, I think I may have mentioned this in the Aggies podcast, but regression is not going to hit them very hard either, I don't think. I think they're both likely to still be really good. And the fact that Fresno State's 51% to win this game, again, another 50-50 game, almost literally by SP Plus. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. So, again, I don't necessarily feel good about it, but I feel like Utah State, especially with its top-end talent coming back, I feel like they have just the slight edge. But, again, I'm not going to be surprised if Fresno State does hold serve at home against well, a team like Utah State. This game is basically a toss-up. Yeah. And if you mentioned Utah State podcast, the offensive line replaces everybody, and that's who knows. It's again week ten, week eleven, whatever week this is, we'll know what's going on. But that's still something something to look out for. But that's uh, yeah, I just easy think, easy game of the year candidate though. Oh yeah, that yeah, easy. That's that could determine each team's division title hopes. Mm-hmm. To and who knows, maybe they'll meet again in the conference championship. That's true. Then they go to San Diego State, which. We'll see what the Aztecs bring when we talk about them a bit more. They have a slightly new offense, kind of a – basically, I think all the differences are getting rid of the fullback and going to be shotgun, but still basically be the same offense where they run the ball a lot and have maybe tight end block instead and have an extra option because the fullback, even with like Nick Bodden and stuff, was fine. But they actually want more athletes on the field. So that's the like thing Fresno needs to look out for. It is the rival game, one of the many rivalries they have. It's on the road now, and then uh, – is this the last year for Qualcomm? Do we know that officially? Or is that... I do not remember that off the top of my head. Neither do I. They're not playing some parking lot, are they? Interestingly, this is the only conference game that seen that Fresno State is the underdog in. By S and P Plus, they're only forty six percent to win this game. That's not too surprising. Because they get I... they get Utah State at home. I may have hinted at this before. Uh-oh. I do not get that at all. That the Aztecs are supposed to be that good, or that yes. this, or this game specifically. <laughs> this game specifically, I do not get why the Aztecs are a favorite. Fresno State's going to win that game. But I, I think you, I could agree, or maybe you'll agree with me. It should be a close one. Like, you, I don't think you'd be surprised if Aztecs were to win, would you? Yeah, I would actually. Ooh, ooh, interesting. Why is that? Look at the last couple of years between these two teams. Okay. I mean, yeah, the defense was able to kind of hold serve. The Aztecs defense I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. You know, they were able to keep it close for maybe the first half. But the offense basically didn't do anything outside of a handful of really big plays in last year's matchup. And let's not forget, you know, they lost by nine points and maybe should have lost by more. It was 23-14. The year before that, again... Yeah, the defense held up maybe as as well as it could have, but they got ground into a fine dust, twenty-seven to three. The offense couldn't do anything against this defense. So even again, even though Fresno State's replacing a lot of pieces, I don't necessarily want to give up the ghost talking about our you know thinking ahead to our Aztecs podcast. Mm-hmm. But what 
exactly is going to go differently this time around? Maybe they're healthier, Aztecs? It's, it's not a 50-50 game. Fresno State's going to win this game handily. Ooh, handily. Handily. Interesting. At, at least 10 points. Ooh, on the road, 10 points? Yes. I have a victory victory for Fresno as well, but, but I'm not that confident that's going to be a double-digit victory. I guess it's, maybe, the, it's, maybe, it's maybe. the next one, as I mentioned on on our Wolfpack podcast. That's going to be the game that determines the division. Okay, and I had as a Nevada loss, Fresno victory. You same. had you had the same. So you really think Nevada would be a, it's going to be a better team than Fresno State? I mean, excuse me, sorry, San Diego State. Yes. By a lot. By a fair amount, yeah. We'll, we'll need to dive deep into this for San Diego State podcast because I, I might agree with you, but is it is it because Ryan Agnew is such a bad starting quarterback? We think. Are you soured on him so much? Our listeners are just going to have to stay tuned. Oh man, tease, go for it! All right, and then we wrap with at San Jose State. Vic- That's a Fresno State win. Victory. Simple. Um, anything else we miss? Because I'm I want to talk about Aztecs, but we'll do that ne- maybe next time. Depends on your votes, right? Yeah, so don't forget to follow us at MWC Wire for that. So we are, are we at halfway point for our previews here? We are, but we got to give our final record for Fresno State first. All right, oh, let me tap my record in. Nine and three overall, six and two in league of play. Same. We're boring. Are we, though? No, we're, we, we, we know what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We are on on track. So what do you think the ceiling for this team is? 11 or 1, I think. Do you think they have a non-zero chance of running the table? Always. There's always a non-zero chance any team can run the table. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, I. if we talked about this with the Utah State and other teams, you look game, per game, game by game, just by themselves, there is no reason for me to believe that they could defeat every opponent on the schedule. They probably won't, but going undefeated is very with the teams they've got. See, I, we, we've done – this is our sixth team preview podcast. And when I have been kind of thinking about the wins and losses for each team, I think this might be – even though it's 9-3, and three, I don't know how good I feel about it because I still kind of feel like I might be undershooting it a little bit because I'm trying to think about regression as well as improvement from other teams and things like that. But like- – Hawaii is going to be better. That's why I have a loss. Utah State's probably not going to be better. That's why it could be a win. Aztecs are probably going to be slightly down. Nevada's better. San Jose, San Jose State's better, but not that good. Air Force is going to be way, quite a bit better. It's at, I think there's maybe the difference between Fresno and the other teams are getting closer on some level just because of who they lost. The Bulldogs, I should say. So, But they're still ahead of the pack. Like If they, if they don't finish at least second in the West Division, something's wrong. It's not going to surprise me if they're also receiving votes by like mid-October and they're in the top 25 by December. Uh, so by mid-October would be I the way I have their wins are what's what's your losses again? What's your conference losses? I forget. Uh, the only conference losses I have are at Air Force and home versus Utah State. Air Force. Okay, so we have them beating you and losing to USC. Uh, yes. So by the way, I'm thinking voters think about these things. They might get some votes preseason, maybe. Maybe like one or two, possibly. I wouldn't be shocked. Say they lose to USC, they're out. 
They beat Minnesota, which people are like, okay, whatever. FCS team, okay, who cares? New Mexico State, again, who cares? And then if they lose the Air Force, or any votes they might be getting are gone again. They may not be ranked until, say, they beat, if Utah State's that good, they beat Utah State. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. if they defy regression, mm-hmm. you know, that's where that scenario comes into place where, you know, th- I don't. I don't know that they will be also receiving votes in the preseason, even though I'm 100% convinced that they should. More than, more so than Army. And, yeah, it's, but, you know, again, there's a scenario where they where they beat USC and, and hold serve at home against Minnesota and then win all those conference games. Yeah. So I'm not going to be surprised if they're sitting with double-digit wins by the time they're probably hosting the, hoisting the Valley Trophy at the end of the regular season. Okay. Let me ask you one more question before we wrap it up here. Not This isn't going to give away anything because we're going to do our big preview. Maybe we'll do another uh, bold prediction podcast because it's always fun. I assume you have a couple teams in mind who might be running for New Year's Six game. Is Fresno State one of those? I don't know if I'm going to commit to that just yet. It'd probably take at least 10-2, and two, correct? But again, I'm being like really conservative just because I'm thinking about regression. I know. It's tough when you lose a quarterback, a bunch of receivers, it's top few DBs, top few linebackers. It's tough. Yeah. What would make you be – okay, because well, okay, it's your team. What would make you feel the season was fine? Well, I mean, I think that you know, even if they drop one or two more games, I think that as long as they show me kind of the, the ceiling – of what this team could be, they're going to be just as competitive, if not more so, in 2020 as well. Okay. So, you know, the step back is probably going to happen. And I think the only question is how much of a step back before they start putting it all together and again and really making a run in 2020. So do you think eight wins is probably your low level? Like you'd be okay with eight wins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about seven? Seven, I feel like it would be a little bit disappointing. Okay, that's what I was thinking too. I'm a kind of same range. I think they should win at least, like anything fewer than eight, unless it's like a fluky game or something, which weird stuff can happen. I think eight wins is probably their baseline. And that's good for a team like when they were pre um, Jeff Tedford. Yeah. He would have begged for eight wins. Pretty much, when yeah. You're going like <laughs> one and whatever. So, all right, so that wraps up for this show. We got a good promise, a full hour here just about. If you listen to the show, appreciate it. We have all of our other shows to listen to. We have done so far Nevada, New Mexico, Utah State, San Jose State Air Force. Next week, um, actually, I think we may go – well, we'll see. We'll leave it up to the folks. We've done a lot of West teams here. Or actually, we mixed it up. We're actually even-even. So we'll put up on Twitter, as Matt mentioned, MWCY is where you can uh, vote sooner than later. But check out all these Air Force, Aztecs, or soon-to-be Aztecs, Spartans, uh, Aggies. We have a bunch of season previews, team out-of-conference stuff. And me and Eli did a hoops podcast recently, so if you want to check out some basketball, why not? And uh, let's see, iTunes. Oh, is it officially Apple Podcast now, Matt? Is that what it's called? I guess. Again, I have no idea. I have ah. an Android phone. Okay, same here. <laughs> <laughs> go to go to wherever the Apple products podcast. Whatever, however you get your podcast. Whatever Apple is trotting out there these days. Yeah, on your iPhone or however you listen to podcasts on iPhone, download us there, please. Let us know. Uh, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, tune in, all the fun places. I think we're on Last FM if you want to meander over there. And if that's your thing, love it, go for it, embrace it, use it for yourself if you'd like. But we'll be back next week to talk at Mountain West Division team. And we are officially at the halfway point for our season uh, to be, get going. You ready for it? I'm, I'm always ready. All right, folks. Until next time, we'll see you then.